Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. Some of the things that he was explaining was just so simple, but it was truth that just hit right home. He's changed my life. He's changed my walk. I have a hunger for God now that I've never had before. And this is just the beginning. And now, here's Andrew. Hello and welcome to our Wednesday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Again today, this is a special series of teachings that I've been doing entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, Lessons from the 2020 election. And uh, this is just really timely, I feel. And uh, for those of you that this is your first day that you've watched this, please go to our website and check out the whole teaching. I've uh, given a lot of explanation, mentioned a lot of things, and you aren't going to get the full impact of it if all you do is watch today's program. But I made two huge observations. I'm sure you could draw a hundred lessons from this last election cycle. But number one, it shows to me the moral pulse of America. And I've said this before, but if you're watching one of the other countries, this is applicable for where you live too, because America, with all of its faults, is one of the best places on the face of the earth. And if America is going down this road towards ungodliness and an unbiblical way of thinking and doing everything, well, then most of the places watching this are going to be uh, at least that bad or worse. And so there's applications for you. So I made two major observations. The first one was that the moral decline in America is worse than what I thought it was because we had the majority of the American voters this last election cycle just vote for total ungodliness. They voted against everything moral. And, you know, there may be other issues, like you don't like a personality of a person, you don't like some of the abrasive... It could be all kinds of things that influence people, but nothing ought to overcome our commitment to the Bible and biblical truth. And yet that's one thing I saw is that the majority of the people who voted voted straight against what the Word of God teaches. And so that's a wake-up call for me and for everybody else. The second major thing that I've been dealing with primarily this week is that this also, uh, the guilt or the responsibility for this moral decline gets put solely on the body of Christ. And I used uh, Ezekiel chapter 3 talking about that the Lord told Ezekiel he was a watchman on the wall, and if he sees the enemy coming and doesn't warn the people, well, then they may die, but their blood would be upon his hands. But if he warns them, and if they don't respond, well, he's delivered his own soul. His only responsibility is to warn people, to tell them the truth. They have the responsibility of how they respond. And so I talked about that as an individual. Every Christian is the salt and the light and needs to be speaking out and letting the Word of God flow from us and impact our cultures. But then especially I was talking to ministers. And I tell you, Charles Finney said that if America ever declines morally, that the responsibility has to be laid right at the feet of the clergy. And I agree with that 100%. And the clergy has not been doing a good job. I include myself in that number. I've done more than I've ever done. I'm not condemned. I'm not trying to condemn anybody else, but I am saying that, man, we need to step up our game. It's, it's not working. The body of Christ as a whole, for whatever reason, 
has taken our light and put it under a bushel. We let our light shine within the four walls of a church, but we don't go out into the culture. And then I, th I believe you could also say that ministers are only ministering on things that don't counter our culture. They are afraid of rejection, afraid of criticism. You know what the Bible calls that? A hireling, a person that's in it just for the money that they can get. You know, I was just studying last night in Ezekiel, and, and the Lord was prophesying through Ezekiel. I think this was Ezekiel chapter 16. I forget exactly. I studied a bunch of chapters in Ezekiel, but I think it was Ezekiel 16, and it was speaking specifically to the women and talking about how that they were prophesying all of these things. And it wasn't talking about them committing physical adultery, but it was saying spiritually they were committing adultery. And the Lord was comparing it to prostitution, saying you are prostituting the message because that's what people want to hear. And they give you barley and they give you wine. And so in a sense, they were, they were uh, spiritual prostitutes is what he was referring to. And you know what? That's what a minister is. If you know the truth and what the Word of God has to say about something, and if you see our society going in a direction that is ultimately going to destroy the society and destroy many individuals in the process, and if you don't stand up and speak against it because people might leave your church or you might lose some revenue, then you're a spiritual prostitute. And I know that there's people that are very offended over this. This is just politically incorrect to say that, but it is biblically correct. And I'm not saying it with any malice whatsoever. I'm saying it as a warning and just to warn people that, you know what, we need to stand up. What I want to do today is to show you that Jesus was so different than this passive attitude that we see in so many ministers today. And he was not... He didn't go out of his way to offend people, but he didn't sit there and go out of his way to keep from offending people. He just spoke the truth and let people do with it what they wanted to. Often he said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Every single person in the crowd had physical ears on their head, but he was talking about if you can hear with your heart, if this is ringing true on the inside of you, then receive it. And if you don't receive it, then reject it. But he didn't argue with people. He didn't appease people. He didn't have a seeker-friendly service where you do away with anything that might possibly be offensive to a person and just draw a person in and try and get them to sit in the pew hoping that they'll get the gospel by osmosis. Here is an example from John chapter 6, and I'm not going to take the time to put all of this in its context, but let me just tell you that back in the fifth chapter is where uh, Jesus fed the multitudes and did all of these things and multiplied that food. And, and they had more food left over after he had fed the multitude than when he started. And so after that was over, he departed and he went up into a mountain to pray and he sent his disciples by a ship to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the people the next day, they came running around the Sea of Galilee, the lake, and they went around and found him and they got to wanting him to be their king. So let me just break in on some of this. In John chapter 6, in verse 25, it says, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when comest thou hither? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves 
and were filled. And if you were to go on up into some of these previous verses, they actually wanted to make him a king. But he's saying, the reason that you want me to be a king isn't because you really want me to rule over you. You saw me multiply the food. You got your belly full, and you see me as a way of getting whatever you want. And there's a lot of people today that they serve Jesus and they talk about Jesus only when it's to their advantage. They are piecemealing the gospel and picking out the parts that they like, but they will not say what the Lord wants them to say. I'm talking to ministers primarily right now. They only preach the things that everybody, you know, will be accepted, uh, be uh, the, the things that will be acceptable to everyone. And there's a lot of ministers that are doing that. And this is exactly what these people were doing. They were saying, we want you to be our king, but they didn't really care about him being a king. They wanted to get their needs met. They wanted to get their belly full. And that's what he told them. And he says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And look at this in verse 28. Then they said unto him, what? Shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. And they said unto him, What sign showest thou that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now remember the context. He had just fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, with five little loaves of bread and two small fish, and they had more left over after everybody ate to their full than they had when they started. This was a great miracle. And they're saying, what other miracle can you do? Moses sent manna down from heaven. Again, this wasn't because they were truly seeking God and seeking a sign. They were seeking something that would fill their belly again. They were looking at Jesus as this is the way to indulge my flesh and get whatever I want. And so they said, Moses gave us manna. Can you produce manna? And look at Jesus' response. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Now, what he was doing was talking about himself. He was the bread of life. But he was saying this kind of in a parable form, and they weren't totally sure what he meant. And so they said, then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Again, they were looking for physical bread. They weren't looking for Jesus. And so he just came out real plainly and said these things. He said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall uh, never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. And then he goes on and talks about everybody that God has touched their heart. It has to, you have to come to God by revelation. You can't be argued into it. He says, those that God gives me, will come to me, but those that aren't truly my, my children, they will depart. And so these people, when he said that I am the bread that came down from heaven, these people were offended. And look at this in verse 41. Then the Jews murmured in him because he had said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, and his father and mother we know? How is it that he saith, I came down from heaven? And so Jesus answered and said unto them, 
says, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God, every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. And um, I'm going to skip through some verses just because of the time sake here. But he goes on down and he says in verse 49, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that if a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So they had asked for some kind of a sign. Specifically, they were asking about manna. Moses gave manna. Can you do that? He says, I am the bread of life. And then he just made it very clear here that he that comes to me and eats of my flesh, uh, that's the ones that have eternal life in them. And boy, the Jews were really offended over this. In verse 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, let me just make an application here. And the reason I'm bringing this out is to say that we are supposed to be outspoken we are supposed to warn people. We are watchmen on the wall. We are salt and light. But one of the excuses that people give for not doing this is because, well, we might be misunderstood. People, and we just are so cautious about offending anyone. You know, I am just amazed at some of the things that I hear today. People talk about others bullying people. And I don't, I don't promote bullying people. I'm not saying that we ought to sit here and run people down and do things and make fun of them and stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that when I grew up, there weren't laws. There weren't things against bullying people. And man, I was bullied. Every person I ever knew has been bullied by somebody and shamed and made fun of and said things. And you know what? You just, you just dealt with it and went through. But now if a person, you know, wears a shirt and somebody gets offended over the wording on the shirt, well, then that's offensive and they will complain and they'll file a lawsuit. And if somebody says something about, you know, the way you are behaving or something, well, then they will call the police and, and do things. Just not very long ago when I was a kid, which is, I guess, quite a while ago for a lot of people, Man, you had things like this happen all the time, but now people have become so sensitive and we are so afraid that we're going to offend anybody. And sad to say, this is in epidemic proportions in the pulpits in America. They are afraid to say the truth that somebody might take it wrong. Well, take a lesson from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. You have to eat me and live by me. And the people thought he was talking of cannibalism. And how did Jesus respond? Did he go out of his way to say, look, you misunderstood. Oh, please don't misunderstand. I am not promoting cannibalism. I do not believe in eating the flesh of a person. See, that's what preachers would have done today. If you were preaching on something and they thought you were advocating cannibalism, I guarantee you the average pastor would spend hours trying to fall all over themselves, apologize and put it into the right perspective so that nobody will misunderstand. Again, I don't think that we ought to intentionally go out and offend people, but we shouldn't be so scared, so afraid 
of somebody misunderstanding things. The whole context, if I would have read all of these verses that I skipped over, Jesus is saying, no man can come unto me unless the Father draws him. If you were my children, you would hear. You would understand what I'm saying. And if you aren't part of the body of Christ, well, then you won't understand, even though I try and explain it to you. So he, he wasn't big into trying and explain everything away. And when they misunderstood him, instead of him apologizing, instead of him trying to correct their misunderstanding, look at how he responded. I love this. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Instead of him apologizing, instead of him backpedaling, instead of him spending time explaining, he made it 10 times worse. He not only talked about him being the bread that came down from heaven, he said, now you got to drink my blood. And he made it worse. And what was the results? Look at this. It says, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard uh, this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his uh, disciples murmured in it, he said unto them, Do you, Does this offend you? So these people were offended. I guarantee you, most preachers today, if somebody got offended by what you say, it would just break your heart and you would spend an untold amount of energy trying to keep from offending anybody. He says, does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And then he goes on and it says in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. There was approximately 5,000 people that were fed by the loaves and the fishes, and most of them came and tried to make him king. That's when he said these things about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and it offended them so that they left. Many of them left and didn't follow him anymore. Did you know by modern standards of Christianity, which believes that the numbers control everything. If you have lots of people coming and if your money is up and stuff, well, then praise God, you are a success, which is a terrible way to measure success. I believe that Jesus, this was one of his greatest hours because he said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. He was responding to these people because he knew that they did not come with a pure motive. They only wanted to get their belly full. That's what he said. And so he responded to them harshly to weed out the people, the people that were really uh, hearing from God and following Jesus because God had touched their heart. They would stick with him. The people that weren't sincere, this would drive them away. And Jesus got up and said what he heard his father saying. And when the multitudes left, how did Jesus respond? He didn't turn around and ask the disciples, could I get a hug? Nobody's loving me. You know what he said? He turned around to the 12 and he says, will you also go away? It's like 
Hey, I've weeded out the people who weren't sincere. Are there any of you that want to leave? There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. Again, that's not because he didn't love people, but it's because he just refused to compromise and he depended upon the Holy Spirit dealing with people. But today, we are so into being touchy-feely and everybody loving us and, and not offending anybody. And I'm telling you, that is not being a true watchman on the wall. Some of the things that I learned from this last election cycle is that, man, the, the, the moral decay in the United States is worse than I thought it was. For people to vote just, I mean, right down the line, completely against the Word of God, completely against everything that Christianity stands for. And the majority of people voted that way. That shows that we are in a terrible moral decline. And the second lesson to learn is that it's the fault of the church and specifically the ministers, the watchmen on the wall who have not been warning the people and speaking the truth. And people don't know the truth. It's impossible to be set free if you don't know the truth because it's the truth that sets you free. And it's only the truth that you know that sets you free. So these are some of the lessons that I've learned. And I really love this example about Jesus because it shows you what we should all be striving for. And that is that we're just speaking the truth of God's Word. We're letting the Holy Spirit deal with people's hearts. And if that causes the multitude to go away, let them go away. And I know there's a lot of people, well, then how will I survive? If you are only ministering because of the money that it can provide, because it helps you make the church mortgage payment and stuff like this, then according to Scripture, that's a hireling. You're just a hired laborer. You aren't a true minister of God. You need to stand up and speak the truth. And I tell you, it is way past time. We are on the wrong side of this issue as was evidenced by this last election. So here's some of the things that I hope you take away from this. I hope that this really impresses on you the severity of the situation, that it motivates us that, man, the time is here. It's actually way past time for us to stand up and be the salt and the light and the watchman that God called us to be. And hopefully this will motivate us to stand up. And again, not just believe ourselves, but to communicate that faith. We need to become evangelistic. We need to reach out and recognize that those verses I used over in Leviticus chapter 19, that if you really love your neighbor, you will warn them under any wise, regardless of whether they're offended or not, regardless of whether they push back and criticize you and, and speak against you. If you truly love people, you will tell people the truth, even to your own detriment. And those are some of the things that I hope will come out of this. Again, we've got some product here. I'm going to let our announcer give you the whole thing. But this little video, In God We Trust, this was a musical that we performed last 4th of July. And I tell you, it's powerful. This will build your faith. It will make you thankful for what God has done in this nation. And if you are watching from some other nation, man, you ought to praise God that the Lord raised up the United States and it's been the influence for good that it has. I'll let our announcer give you the information about all of these materials, but please listen. Please take advantage of this and please get engaged. We need you to be the salt and light. 
Andrew's new teaching titled, Where Do We Go From Here? Lessons from the 2020 Elections is available as a CD or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Included in this four-part album, you'll also get the America on the Brink panel discussion and Andrew's race relations discussion. The America on the Brink panel discussion includes Andrew Womack, Tony Perkins, E.W. Jackson, General Jerry Boykin, Bill Federer, and Janet Boynes. The race relations panel discussion includes Andrew Womack, E.W. Jackson, and David Barton. Both panels share a biblical perspective on important political matters in our culture today, such as racism, riots, Black Lives Matter, homosexuality, abortion, and more. On today's program, Andrew also mentioned the theatrical DVD titled, In God We Trust. This patriotic DVD features reenactments of significant American historical events, along with inspiring musical numbers. Go to awmi.net to see all the ways you can get these products. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or you can call our helpline at 719-635-1111. Our helpline is open 24 hours a day, Monday through Friday, and from 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. You know, the Lord has given me a huge vision and we've been blessed up to this point, but I've still got so much that God's leading me to do. I'm believing God for 10,000 new partners. We've already got over $120 million worth of buildings in just the last nine years, but I've got at least $100 million worth maybe $200 million worth of buildings still in my heart for our students, for an activity center. We've got a new student housing that we've got a preliminary drawing of that is showing you a little idea of what it would look like. This one would house about 120 people. Our others are gonna be smaller with maybe somewhere around 40 people per dorm, but we need this student housing and we need people to become partners. I'm believing for 10,000 new partners. I would ask you to pray about it, and if the Lord says so, join with us and help us change people's lives through Karis Bible College. Karis, an accredited Bible college in the beautiful town of Woodland Park, has been changing people's lives for over 25 years. The people here are so like-minded. They want to help you grow. These are people who genuinely care about you. They want the best for you. Be prepared to be blown away with the teachings. It's not just a season in your life. There's no way you can't change. You can't really go wrong going to a place that you get to sit and listen to the Word for four hours a day. Being under the Word that much just allowed God to pour so much into me. If you feel supernatural peace about coming to Karis, that's God. I know you're like, how, when, where, all these questions, just do it. The Lord will provide. I was doubting and second-guessing it, but when I took that step of faith, immediately, like, things were provided. Just being around like-minded believers, teachers who are there for you and ready to talk to you at any moment and answer your questions, there's just nothing like it. Just follow the leading of the one that you serve, and that's always going to be the right direction to go. When we talk about running with the Lord, this is part of it, is that you need to become absolutely dependent upon God. 
men's advance has always been really a time to reconnect with God. I mean, anytime you got a bunch of brothers coming together, that right there in itself is impactful. The men's advance particularly, it speaks very well to a man's soul and just really targets just areas that, that men need to be just encouraged in and refined in. We're all just here to grow. I guarantee that you'll get something out of it. Men's advance makes you hungrier for God. As long as you got hunger for the Lord, you're gonna grow. No matter how old we get, no matter how much we may think we're behind, if we follow the best playbook ever written, we will overcome. 